Thanks for joining us here at Life Church, where we are one church meeting in multiple locations with a mission of leading people to become fully devoted followers of Christ. If you want to learn more about us, you can always check us out online at life.church. Coming up, we get to hear from our senior pastor, Craig Rochelle, as he continues to walk us through some of the most misused verses of the Bible in part four of his message, Twisted. Well, it's fantastic to have all of you with us at all of our churches. My name is Craig Rochelle. I want to welcome you to every Life Church location, our network churches. We love you guys so much. On the other side of computer screens at every country in the world, we believe that you are not here by accident, but we warmly welcome you uh, to our online family. If you are new with us, you're joining us in the middle of a message series called Twisted. And what we're doing is we're looking at some of the most commonly twisted, misquoted, or misunderstood verses in the Bible. In fact, to open up this one today, what I'd like to do is ask a question, and I would love it if all of you, all of our churches, would respond if you think this is true. Be really honest. How many of you would say that if you had a little more money, it could make life a little bit easier or better? Be honest. All of our churches say, yeah, absolutely. So in order to do that, what we wanted to do was be a blessing to a few of you today, and at each Life Church location, we had the campus pastors put under just three seats. So most of you won't experience this, but under just three seats, um, we taped on $100 bills to be a blessing to somebody. So if you want to go ahead and, you know, you may be the lucky one, I'll give you a second to see. Yeah, nobody's looking, right? Okay, yeah. There's somebody thinking, oh, that may be me. Okay, you, you did the math and recognized 150 services. There's no way this tightwad would ever do that, okay? <laughs> but if we did, wouldn't that be amazing? You win $100. Now, this is incredible. So that leads into the big misquoted verse that I want to talk about today. One of the most commonly misquoted verses of the Bible is this. So many people say, money is the root of all evil. Money is the root of all evil. Money is the root of all evil. And that is an incredibly misquoted version of what the Bible actually says. In fact, I'll show you a, a photo from a restaurant. This is actually what was on a tip jar. Money is the root of all evil. Free yourself from some of the evil and leave us a tip, which I think that's rather clever and uh, somebody to put down. But this is what many people think of the verse, is that money is the root of all evil. What I want to do is show you how the verse is actually quoted. Paul was talking to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6.10, and this is the accurate way to quote this verse. For the what? Let's all say it aloud. Not money, but for the what? For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Uh, if you're like most people, you're going to say, well, the good news is that isn't me, okay? That's some other rich, greedy person who loves money, but that's not me. I don't love money. How do we even discern if we actually do love money or not? How do we discern if we love money or not? Well, interestingly enough, the Bible actually answers this question very clearly. It was Solomon who said this in the Old Testament, Ecclesiastes 5.10. He almost has a definition of it. He says, whoever loves money never has what? Let's all say it aloud. Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is what? Is never satisfied with their income. 
I set you up earlier slightly by asking how many of you would say that a little more money would make life easier or better? When I look at this definition of whoever loves money never has enough, suddenly it makes me a little more uncomfortable about my own spiritual position. Whoever loves money never has enough. A little more would make life better. A little more would make me happier. Whoever loves money is never satisfied with their income. The reason this hits me close to home is I can distinctly remember when Amy and I first got married, we were just starting out and we made this much money. And I had a pastor friend that I worked with that made this much money. And I told Amy, if we can ever make this much money, we will be done, finished, and never ever need any more. Then one day with six kids, we made that much money. And suddenly, mysteriously, the line moved. If we could just make this much money, then we would be finished and we would never need any more. In fact, if I asked you this question and you were really, really honest, the answer might be revealing about where your heart or my heart stands with money. Question, how much do you need to be happy? How much do you need to be satisfied? How much do you need to feel secure? And virtually everybody I know would say, a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. Whoever loves money never has enough. They're never satisfied with their income. Suddenly, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, may hit a little closer to home to many of us than we would first like to acknowledge. What I wanna do today is do what we've been doing in the last few weeks is to dive into the context. If you've been with us, we talked about the importance of understanding the Bible in context. In other words, we don't wanna just pull a verse out of context. We wanna know who wrote this, to whom did they write it, when was it written, what was the big purpose, the big theme. We wanna understand the context of what was written. So let me give you the context of this verse. This was actually Paul writing to Timothy. In fact, what's really special to me is Paul has two what's known as pastoral epistles. He wrote to Timothy and he wrote to Titus. These were not biological sons to him, but uh, Timothy and Titus were kind of like what we might call sons in the faith. In other words, these were young ministers that Paul looked at and loved as if they were his own sons, his children. And so these pastoral epistles are very personal, very, very rich, and we learn so much about how to love Jesus in the church from these pastoral epistles. And so this is Paul talking to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6. We'll start in verse 6 and then move on down in context. Paul says, but godliness. Everybody say godliness. He says, but godliness with what? With contentment is great gain. If there is a big theme in this teaching, we might actually argue that the big theme is not money, but the big theme is godliness. The big theme is not godly, the big theme is not money, but the big theme is actually godliness. Paul says, but godliness, this is the goal, godliness with contentment is great gain. Then he says, for we brought nothing into the world, and what can we take out? He says, we can take nothing out. Now, this is really, really easy to understand in our heads, but our hearts often don't contain this great truth. We can argue all day long. I've never seen a 
hearse pulling a U-Haul, dead person taking their stuff with them. And we know that. In fact, there's an old joke about a very wealthy guy that when uh, he found out he had cancer, he put a, a big briefcase full of money up in the attic. And his wife said, why are you putting a briefcase full of money in the attic? And he said, when I die, I'm going up to heaven. I'm just grabbing the briefcase and taking it with me, okay? Well, you guessed it, he died. His wife went and looked up in the attic and sure enough, his briefcase full of cash was still there. And she said, I told that old fool he should have put it in the basement and grabbed it on his way down. <laughs> that would have been a much better plan, okay? We brought nothing into this world and we can take nothing out of this world, Paul told Timothy. Then in verse eight, he says something that's really profound. He says, but if we have food and clothing, what will we be? Let's all say it aloud. If we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Do you believe that? Could you get your mind wrapped around that? If we had food and clothing and an iPhone, we could be, and Netflix and some Jordans, okay? If we had, the, you know, I mean, food and clothing, we could be content with that. One of the things that Paul is essentially trying to teach us is, is this, the richest are not those who have the most, but those who need the least. Let me say that again. The, riches are, the richest people are not those who have the most, but those who need the least. In fact, all you have to do is go to another part of the world where people have much, 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 much less than what we have, and you look around and suddenly you're really disturbed because in many ways, those who have much less seem to have much more. Who's ever been to a place like this before? It's disturbing, it's unsettling, it's unnerving to see these, these Christians in a developing nation with nothing, dirt floors, no electricity, no hot water, no, no, no toilets that work. These people that have nothing that we take for granted and yet they have this, this joy and this peace and this assurance and you look and you say the richest is not those who have the most, the richest would be those who need the least. Here's the problem, and this is so true. Discontentment can make a rich person poor, and contentment can make a poor person rich. Paul is saying, we brought nothing into this world, and we're going to take nothing out. We need to recognize that if we have food and clothing and shelter, if we have the basic needs, we can be content with that, because godliness with contentment is great gain. He goes on to say this in verse nine. Those who wanna do what? Let's say it aloud. Those who wanna get rich, say it again. Those who wanna get rich, can anybody say Powerball? Just hoping, just, I mean, you never know, you never know. Those who wanna get rich, what happens to them? They fall into a temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Here's our verse, verse 10, in context. For the love of money, is a root of all kinds of evil. Then Paul tells Timothy, some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. You don't have to raise your hands, but I wonder how many of you know someone like that? They chased it and they walked away from God. They, they, they had a money fight with somebody that they loved and they lost a friendship. 
They had tension over finances with someone in their family, and now they're not speaking anymore. The love of money can be a root of all types of evil. So when we hear this, it sounds like money is bad, right? Money is bad, money, money is bad. I mean, we can't have this kind of stuff, M money is bad. We have to recognize that having money is not bad. Loving money is more dangerous than we can even get our minds around. And I wanna kind of talk this out because this can be a real tension and to really love and serve God, we have to get this right. Jesus said this, he said, you cannot serve both God and money. You cannot, he didn't say you cannot serve both God and power or both God and popularity or both God and sex or whatever. He said you cannot serve both God and money because for many people, money will be the number one competitor for your heart. It will be the very thing that distracts you from having the true riches that God wants to give you. We have to get this right. And so in many parts of the world, in the church world, and many of you know this, but there, there are two extremes. There are what, there's what might be known as the prosperity gospel. Who's ever heard of that before? Anybody, prosperity gospel? And then in some places they'll call it what's the, the poverty gospel. It's like the extremes. The prosperity gospel, if you've ever read an article about it or, or whatever, this is the belief that if I'm godly, if I have enough faith, if I give enough, then God has to make me rich. God has to make me rich. If you were here last week, I talked about the danger. If you can't preach this message everywhere, you shouldn't preach it anywhere. You go and try to preach this to people making $3 a day, you know, you're gonna drive a Rolls Royce if you just give enough. That's dangerous and that is abusive and that is a misunderstanding of the blessings of God. Are you with me? Okay. But on the other side, there's what's known as the poverty gospel. And that is, if, you, you know, if you're really righteous, then you're gonna be poor. If you really love Jesus, you're not gonna have anything. And there's a sense if you have something, then you're unrighteous or you're ungodly. And again, this is a misunderstanding of what scripture says. In fact, if we look at how scripture speaks to this subject, you go back to the Old Testament in Deuteronomy 8:18. scripture says this, remember the Lord your God for he is the one who gives you what? God gives you the ability to produce wealth. God is not gonna give you the ability to do something wrong. If you have wealth, you can help a lot of people. And so we need to be careful not to go off into the ditches. Well, if I'm godly, I'm gonna be blessed. And if you're not blessed, you're not godly. Or if I'm godly, I'm gonna be poor. And if you're not poor, you're not godly. Those are misunderstandings of the truth. And that's why when we recognize finally that we really are blessed, we don't apologize for the blessings of God. We maximize the blessings of God. Let me say it again. We don't apologize. I've seen people who are really blessed that are embarrassed by their blessings. You wouldn't apologize for any other type of blessing. If you came up to me and said, well, Craig, you, know, you and Amy really have a great marriage. I wouldn't go, oh no. I mean, secretly we hate each other. You know, no, I wouldn't do that. I would say, you know what? God has blessed us. And that's what I would say. Hey, you know, you've got amazing kids. You know, oh no, no, they're not, you know, they actually, you know, I hate them. I really don't like it. No, no. You would say, yes, we're blessed with great kids. You're, you're you know, you're really healthy. You're, you're 78 years old and really healthy. God has blessed me. I'm really healthy. Well, you know, God, you have a really nice house. Oh no, man, we got a great deal on it. That, that's apologizing for the blessings of God. You don't apologize when God blesses you. You maximize the blessings of God. It's not a sin to have something. It's a sin and dangerous to love 
money. And so we have to have a right perspective so that we can get this right to leverage what God gives us and make a difference. Verse 17, Paul gets up in our business. He says, command who? He says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. For years, when I read that verse, I just kind of ran right by it. Why? Because I didn't see myself as rich. A rich is somebody else. This is where I am. This is rich. This is rich. And yet, when I read this with a global context, Command those who are rich in this present world. I don't know about you, but the average person listening to this today has hundreds of dollars of technology in their pocket or their purse, okay? That's years worth of wages for about half of our planet. If that's you, you're kind of probably rich, okay? Most of you have access to some sort of transportation. If you own your own vehicle, According to one article I read this week, that puts you in the top 9% of the wealthiest people in the world today. You're in the top 10% of the richest people if you own a vehicle. And the funny thing is, many of you will drive that top 10 car past seven or eight or nine restaurants to go to one special restaurant and walk in and look at everything on the menu and say, I can't decide which thing to get. And then you order it and someone else goes back and cooks it and brings it to you. And you complain because it took 11 minutes to get the thing that you couldn't decide. Then you get back in your top 10% car and you drive it, some of you, to your car's very own house. That's right, your car has a house we call it a garage where I live. Then you walk into your climate controlled place and you turn the air conditioner up when it's cold outside or down when it's warm. You pee in a toilet. Your poop goes away when you flush it and you never see it again and don't have to smell it. You watch a flat screen on your, on your wall and you stream movies. And when you wake up in the morning, some of you, you walk into a closet. You don't just have one, but you walk into it. And it's a two-story closet, meaning there are clothes on the bottom rack and there are clothes on the top rack and they go from wall to wall. And you walk along and you touch them all and then you complain and you say, oh, I've got... And I'm rich. We're rich, right? We're blessed. We don't apologize for it. We maximize it. We are blessed. We didn't deserve this. We got born into it. Seriously, you could have been born somewhere else. I need more to be happy. No. Discontentment makes rich people poor. Contentment makes anybody rich. We've gotta get this right. So, let's read that verse again. 
And let's read it this time as if God is speaking to us because he is. Command those who are what? Rich. In this present world. Who is that? That's us. That's us. That's us. That's me. And that's you. Command us not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put our hope where? To put their hope in God, not in wealth, but in God, not in money, but in God, not in things, but in God, not in this world, but in eternity. Put their hope in, not in wealth, but in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them not to put their hope in wealth, but to put their hope in God. Why? do we tend to put our hope in wealth? Why, when I ask you, if a little more would make your life easier or better, we all, without reservation, say, well, of course, of course, of course, of course, why? Because money promises what only God can provide. Money promises what only God can provide. Jesus, you cannot serve both God and money, what does money promise? Money promises, if you have enough, you'll be happy. How much do you need to be happy? More, more, a little more, a little more. I thought that would do it, more. Well, I definitely thought that more. Promises what only God can provide. Happiness, what else? Security, if I finally get that car paid off, I'm gonna feel better. I need a little more. If I finally get that credit card paid off, then I'm gonna feel a bit better, a little more. Well, if I finally have it all paid off and, and, and X amount in the bank, well, well, I thought that would do it, but a little more. Happiness, security, and significance. If I got enough, I'm all that, right? Because you drive up to the party in your broken down jalopy car that backfires when you get out and you're embarrassed. But you drive up in the new one, that new car smell and you get out with the right purse and the right glasses and the designer jeans. And when you walk in, you are all that. <laughs> right? Because money promises what only God can provide. When we really think we need more money to be happy, satisfied, or secure, we are deceived. We're under the power of money. We're under the influence of money. Money will not meet our deepest needs. Jesus will meet our deepest needs. Let me say it again, because listen to me, you're gonna, some of you are gonna hear this and then you're gonna walk away and you're gonna shake it off, just like when you go on a mission trip and you come back unchanged three days later on the other side. Money will not meet your deepest needs. Jesus will meet your deepest needs. More money will not keep your children off of drugs. More money will not make you love your spouse more. More money will not make you more secure in this world. Only Jesus will. And here's the crazy thing. When you don't have a lot of Jesus, money looks really good. I need more money. No, 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 no. When you have more Jesus, then you can be content with what you have because godliness with contentment is great gain. 
Godliness with contentment is great gain. I am here to tell you right now, you are searching for something, many of you, that will never satisfy. You will never, ever, 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 ever have enough. What you need is more Jesus, more of his grace, more of his peace, more of his assurance, more of his presence, more of his power in your life. He is your everything, your sustainer. He is the bread of life. He is your living water. He is your rock. He is your assurance. And suddenly when you have more of him, then you're not craving everything else. And the crazy thing is, sometimes when you have more of him, he starts to give you more of everything else. And suddenly you recognize more of everything else isn't just for me. I can enjoy it and be blessed by it, but since it came from him, then I use what he gave me to be a blessing in this world. I may have it, but it doesn't have me. I may have it, but I don't love it. I may have it, but I don't have to have it because I already have what I have to have. And what I have to have is an assurance of who I am in Christ, that my sins are forgiven, not held against me. I am a child of the living God. And that's what I have to have. Some of you, you, you're gonna get this one day and when you get it, you're free, you're free. It's not wrong to have, it's not wrong to be blessed, it's wrong to love it. When you're blessed, you recognize all this isn't for me. I am blessed, I am rich, I am blessed. And this is to be used to make a difference in this world. Then in verse 18, here's what Paul says to the rich people. Command them to what? Say it aloud. He says, command those rich people, that's us. He says, command them to what? He says, command them to do good, to be what? To be rich in good deeds and to be what? And to be generous and willing to share. Let me look at that again. He tells me and he tells you, do good. Be rich in good deeds. Be generous and be willing to share. Rich people, do good. Be rich in good deeds. Be generous and willing to share. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Then he says in verse 19, in this way, they'll lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, security, so that they may take hold of what? The life that is truly life. The life that is truly life. The life that you've been searching for and you cannot find in material things that never ever satisfy. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, be generous and, and willing to share and to find a life that is really life. All right, let me tell you my journey with this because it's not all pretty. I grew up with a poverty mindset. Rich people probably did something wrong, la, 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 okay. I grew up afraid of not having enough. One day the world's gonna fall apart and I gotta have enough. When I became a follower of Jesus, Early on, transformed by Jesus, I heard a message about worshiping God with the tithe, okay? I did my homework on it, I studied it. It's, it was before the law. We give 10% back to God as an act of worship through his church. It's confirmed in the New Testament, Matthew 23, 23 by Jesus alone. And suddenly I was like, crap. I don't wanna do that. Why? Because I loved and trusted money. So I didn't for probably about six months. I heard another message, was absolutely convicted. And what I understand now is the antidote to the love of money 
is not more money, it's generosity. And, and the tithe is one of the most effective tools for spiritual growth that there is. One of the most effective tools, because every time God gives you something, you return 10% back to him. And so I'm gonna tell you, it was one of the most emotional moments of my spiritual life. The very first time I wrote out what to me was a massive check, 10% of what came in. And I mean, I'm shaking and I'm trembling and I, I put it in, in the offering bucket and I felt the most awesome sense of faith and obedience and, and relief. And it was incredibly emotional. Why? Because maybe for the first time ever, the power of the love of it was broken off of me. And I did that. And for 28 years, I have never not done that. Every time for 28 years, first 10% goes back to God as an act of worship. Well, guess what? That just started to get it going. Then whenever we started the church, one of the most emotional moments was when we went all in. Everything we had, everything that wasn't tied down that we had access to, 100%. With, with tears and emotion and faith, we poured it into the church. Then three years later, we had a little stack and we did it again, all in again. And I remember just the faith of like crying, like, I mean, how many times are we gonna do this? And all in. And it, it was emotional and powerful, incredible. I can tell you right now, with every bit of sincerity, I have never had a single emotional earning moment and I've never had a single emotional consuming moment. I've never sat down and someone said, well, you're getting a 4% raise this year. And I just cried and cried and cried and cried and cried for hours because it was so emotional, it's never happened to me. I've never bought the TV and put it on the wall and called the kids in and we just worshiped God and cried for an hour because we finally had something to worship on the wall. Never have, never an emotional earning or consuming story. But giving on the other hand, Perhaps the most emotional moment, I haven't even shared this with Amy, but um, several years ago, she felt called to start a um, transition home called Branch 15 for women coming out of human trafficking and prison and rehab and such. And she did an amazing job. It's fully staffed and full of women now. And so she wanted to do something to bless all the women in there and, and everybody who's serving and all the women who have graduated out. And so they put together a banquet and had kind of a, a spoil them day with you know, massages and incredible meal and, and such. And there were all these women that for the first time, many have transportation that never have owned it before, have a bank account now and actually know how to use it, have employment, are sober, and are plugged into the church. And I'm sitting there going, we had the opportunity to invest in that. And this is the result of what rich people can do when they recognize that it's not all for them. The love of money is the root of all types of evil. And one of the biggest types is selfishness and greed. How do we know if we love money? Well, we never have enough, never satisfied with our income, I'll tell you what, that has been me for a significant portion of my life. The tithe helped to break that. Generosity helps to counteract that. And still to this day, I'm drawn to the, well, if only I had, if only I had, and if only I had. And you know what I do then? Is I give something bigger and have more faith. And there is so much emotion in that whenever you get to say, 
I was obedient to God with the tithe. I put him first. I worship him with the first tenth of what comes in. And that's just a beginning point for me. Because Paul told Timothy, command those rich people. Hey, don't put your hope in money, which is so uncertain. But put your hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Tell those rich people, do good, be generous in good deeds, be generous and willing to share. Because then, guess what? You will take hold of the life that is truly life. So, Father, we ask that you would help us as followers of Jesus to get this right. At all of our churches, as you, as you take a moment and reflect in prayer, I know that there are many of you, you're going to open up your hearts and you're going to let this truth get in and you're going to be different. All of our churches, I want to just ask one question, and I hope this is all of you. I don't care if you're a Jesus follower or not. I hope this is you. This is universal. How many of you want to recognize that we really are blessed and you want to be even more generous to make a difference in this world. If that's you, would you lift up your hands right now? Just all of our churches. I hope that's everybody today. Father, I pray that at this holy moment, that you would cause everybody, Christians and non-Christians alike, to look for opportunities to be generous. God, for those who are Jesus followers, I thank you that on this day, there will be those who will for the first time take the step of faith and worship you with the tithe. God, that they will recognize that 90% with your blessings is more than 100% without. And God, as an act of worship, we will recognize everything comes from you. And God, it is a great joy to give back to you as an act of worship and obedience, the first 10% of what you trust us with. We thank you, God. We have the opportunity to do that. But God, we will not stop there. God, I pray that you give us eyes to see opportunities all around us, that we as rich people will not put our hope in wealth, but God, we'll put our hope in you. And God, because you have blessed us richly, we will do good. We will be rich in good deeds. God, we will be generous, and we will be willing to share. And God, I just know according to your word, as we do that, you often bless us with even more. And we will not feel guilty for the blessings, but we will feel a divine responsibility that you blessed us, God, because you love us. And we get to enjoy some of that, but it's not all for us. God, help us to see it as a responsibility to those whom much has been given, and that's us. Much is required. So God, we honor you with the tithe, and we worship you with offerings. And we thank you, God, that in no way did we deserve what we have, but because you have blessed us, we will be a blessing to others. As you keep praying today at all of our different churches, there are some of you right now that, that this is gonna hit you because you've recognized you've been searching for something to bring peace, something to bring a healing in your heart, something to, to fill that void. Someone said that all of us, we have a Christ-shaped void in our soul. Listen to me, try it all. If you don't believe me today, try it all. Many of you have. Go, go party your brains out. You'll still be empty. Go consume, consume, consume. Get filthy rich. Try it. You'll still be empty. Don't like you know, the, your current boyfriend? Break up with him. Try somebody else. Guess what? You'll still be empty. Search for everything. At the end of the day, you are empty. Why? Because we are sinners by nature. 
Our sin separates us from a holy God. We cannot consume enough to be filled. We must experience the grace of Jesus. You do not need more of this world. You need more of Jesus, the love of God. He loved us so much that Jesus came to this earth, lived without sin, died the most horrible death on the cross, was raised again from the dead so that anyone, and this includes you, who calls on his name would be saved. There is no thing in this world that will fill the emptiness inside. Only Jesus will. At all of our churches, there are those of you, you recognize you have sinned and you need a savior. You recognize you're empty and you need to be filled. You don't need more of this world. You need more of Jesus and you know it now. All of our churches, those who would say, yes, today by faith, I turn from my sins, I give my life to him. Jesus, take my life, I give it to you. That's your prayer, lift your hands high right now. All of our churches and say, yes, that's my prayer. Right back over here, God bless you. Others today over here as well say, yes, Jesus, I surrender right up here in this section. Church online, you click right below me. Others today who say, yes, I call on his name. All of our churches take a moment and pray aloud with those around you. Pray, Heavenly Father, today I give you my life. Jesus, save me. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. Be first in my life. I trust you. I honor you with all you give me. I honor you with my life. Fill me with your spirit so I could serve you always. My life is not my own. Today I give it to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Would you all worship big today, worship loud, welcome those born into God's family today. Here at Life Church, we are honored to play a very small part in what God is doing in and through your life, and we would love to continue with you on that journey. To learn about your next steps in your relationship with Christ, all you have to do is go to life.church next. Earlier this week, I had the opportunity to sit down with the amazing staff of our 25th Life Church location in Overland Park. Check it out. Thank you guys so much for taking time out of your day. I know you guys are hustling. Looking forward to the opening day of Overland Park. And I know a lot of you have made significant sacrifices. I wanna know, what was the call that God put on your life to make that move? So first and foremost, God says, go, we go. And what we've seen, what I've seen in my own life and in my family's life, as we've uprooted and moved, God's put a love in us for this city. It's, it's an amazing place to be. My husband and I were talking and he said, Jacqueline, I think that we need to start making decisions off of faith, not on our comfort. And so let's be risk takers. There are gonna be families, there are gonna be kids, generations that will be changed. I can't help but not want to be part of something like that. There's a lot of churches here. Why Life Church? Well, as I begin to look at the community, there's 580,000 people in Johnson County. Only 39% belong to a church. And so there's 350,000 people that we get to reach and lead to become fully devoted followers of Christ. In meeting with people, in meeting with our core group, they're ready to engage in something. People that want to reach out to their community and that really want to do something for Christ and for God's kingdom. What can we do as a church to push what you're doing even further? 
Uh, the number one thing is continue to pray. We can feel not only just the prayers, but the support. The second thing is if you know anybody in this area, make sure that you are letting them know and you are letting us know about them so we can reach out to them. So if you see somebody um, posting something on Facebook or on Instagram or Twitter, share that post because you never can know what God is gonna do through you. I wanna say, God could not have assembled a better team for this community. Like you said, this is the ground floor of all that God is gonna do here in Overland Park, and we can't wait to be a part of it. Thanks for tuning in and joining us here at Life Church to see if there's a Life Church location in your area. Just go to life.church/locations, or you can always find us at Church Online. It's our mission and our passion to lead people to become fully devoted followers of Christ, and we do it all because we believe whoever finds God finds life.